Welcome to the One Track Mind Podcast. I'm your host, John Miller. And in this episode, I sit down with the newly signed McLaren factory driver, Paul Holton. Paul's a talented driver on the rise in the sports car world. We recorded this on the same day that he qualified on pole for the Long Beach Grand Prix in his Compass Racing McLaren 570S GT4 for the Prairie World Challenge Race. Uh, We talk about what got him interested in racing in the first place, which is not the kind of racing that he's doing right now. We talk about racing in a European driver development series as the only American and the unique challenges presented there. He revisits some of the mistakes he's made along the way, and he maps out the path that he's taken to become a factory driver. He's young, he's fast, and he's opinionated, and I might have kept him up past his bedtime on the night before the Long Beach Grand Prix race, which ultimately didn't seem to matter because he went on to win the race the next day. If you enjoy the show, subscribe, tell your friends, share it, and follow us on Instagram at One Track Mind Show, and enjoy the episode. Very serious memory card there. So as you can tell, this is a very serious operation. Did you put that in the thing? That's an extra one. Okay. We're actually recording there. Gotcha. Yeah. I feel like you can push the button and it could... The, but, the, the button's been pushed. We're recording. Right, it's good. on. We've already started. Wow. Yeah. Nifty. It is pretty nifty. All right. So welcome to the, the studio. The studio. The AKA my office the, the at studio. home. Wow. That's ambitious. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, we make do with what we've got here. The, so Paul Holton, welcome to the studio here. You're, uh, you're in town for the Prelly World Challenge race at Long Beach, right? I am. That's the main reason why you're here. Pretty much the only reason why I'm here. <laughs> And, that and to go surfing and, and to go surfing right yes. so qualifying was this morning it was i i know how it went but i'm gonna ask you anyway how'd it uh, go went pretty good we're on the pole so well, and and for those of us who don't know what you're driving or who you are you're you're we're we're in long beach well in the moment you're at my house in my studio recording this but you're at long beach this weekend racing probably world challenge who are you racing for what are you driving what's going on set the stage for us um i recently got no, 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 not don't jump ahead. I know what you're going to say. Got it. Just talk about this weekend. Understood. I am here driving a McLaren 570S GT4 car uh, for Compass Racing uh, with sponsors Rubric Clouds Cloudium. <laughs> Rubric Cloudium. Rubric Cloudium and Promark. Oh, Rubric, comma Cloudium. Yeah. And what was the third one? Promark. Promark. So these are all cloud services companies. Lo- locally based cloud services companies. Um, copy that. And so this, this came together kind of last minute cause GT four slash GTS cars are not normally, uh, part of the long beach pro world challenge weekend, but this weekend there's what, 10 of them, eight of them, something like that that were invited. Yeah. How, how did that work? GTS hasn't been here since, uh, 2014, I believe. Um, and that was because they just had so many GT three cars in the class above us. Um, now this year they're hurting a little bit for entries. Uh, in the GT3 class, so they decided to invite some GT4 cars as well. So I think we have seven cars in class. Not the greatest turnout, but uh, some pretty strong. Sure, drivers. but it was it, as I understand it, it was a kind of a last minute. Like, hey, it who was, wants to come? Who can come? Yeah, like throw it together. It, and, it's, and it's a non points weekend. Non points weekend. This is purely for keeps this weekend. Gotcha. So, so talk about the rest of your. Um, are you doing the full season? You're doing sprint. I think. You're just doing Sprint X, right? Yeah, so this is a Sprint weekend, so it's a 50-minute Sprint race. Right. I'm driving Sprint X, which is a one-hour, two-driver, 30 minutes each um, race with a older gentleman named Ray Mason. Actually, I take way older and say legendary man <laughs> named Ray Mason. 
Um, I, 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 one day I hope to be like Ray. I hope to be 74 years old and driving a race car and, <laughs> and, and literally not caring I'm, at all what not, anybody thinks about what I do. Love the man. Um, uh, his, uh, Facebook presence is terrifying, but I've, I've dialed my own Facebook I, presence down again. I think it's inspirational yeah. to be, to be that active on Facebook at 74 years old. <laughs> I hope he Ray, doesn't. I hope he doesn't hear this. Ray, I don't think Ray knows what podcasts are. Um, I mean, he knows what Facebook is. He does, but that's a big leap for that generation. So uh, we're proud of him. We love him. Um, well, I'll send him a direct link to this to make sure he doesn't listen to it. Um, yep. But okay, so you're driving with Ray, uh, co-driving with Ray in the Pro M class of Sprint X in a McLaren GT4 570 with Compass. So that's that's where you're at for the full season in PwC. And you're also in the Continental Tire GS class in the same car. It's a same type of car, same type of car, different chassis. Different it's chassis. A, actually, the chassis right before it. I think we have chassis zero one six, and I'm driving chassis zero one seven this weekend. Um, they're like the second, third cars to be produced by McLaren GT um, a couple of years ago. So actually, all the oldest cars produced at four five seventy SGT four cars are based in the U.S. Um, gotcha. We got the first round of deliveries. And so, you guys have done quite a bit of kind of development work, I guess, so to speak. I mean, and, and I guess I want to ask about that or talk about that a little bit because, you know, GT4, the class that it's become over the past few years, the way that it's evolved is, you know, the idea is you go and you you buy the car and it's turnkey and you run it because the, the thought process is that nowadays cars themselves are too complex and too costly to build and develop on your own, um, the way that it's always been done until now. And so this GT4 platform is, Hey, you know, manufacturers, you're going to build a car and then you're going to offer it for sale to, you know, customer racing teams. And that's how racing, um, you know, GT cars or, you know, production quote unquote production based cars. That's how it's going to be from here on out. Um, the theory behind the series or behind the, the concept of GT4 is, you know, cost control, um, keeping everything competitive and making it so that you don't have to do the development work yourself, but that's not necessarily how it always works out. So you guys have, have done a lot of development work on these cars kind of along the way. Cause this is not the first year you've been involved with McLaren or, or compass. Correct. Correct. You know, um, there's actually a small subsect of people in the racing industry that think this is not the way we should be. And uh, they typically don't actually understand what they're dealing with in these new cars. Um, like, for example, in a couple of years, we have crazy collision avoidance systems on pretty much every single road car. And it's going to be mandated by almost every government in the world. And you won't be able to get around that. So imagine when you're on a racetrack and you're trying to race close to someone and they break a little earlier than you. And all of a sudden your car goes into a, a, an anti-crash mode and hits the brakes. Sure, because these you, are systems that are so ingrained in the electronics of the cars that you know dialing that kind of stuff out would take you know so much time and so much effort. I mean, it's like nowadays you take a body control module out of a car that's meant to just operate the door locks, and the car's not going to start. Right, nothing's going to work. Um, it's, it's it's so codependent on everything talking to everything and hearing everything back from each other in the way that it wants to. That if it doesn't hear the way it wants to, it's not going to work. It's just a failsafe mode. That's, to protect the actual car company legally in the, in most cases. Sure. So, so is that, is that some of the stuff that you guys have dealt with in developing this, this McLaren GT4 car? So we haven't dealt directly with any of that. That's pretty well sorted from the factory. Uh, we've dealt with kind of uh, nitty gritty stuff. Like we're the only, uh, in the continental tire sports car challenge. We're the only series in the world that does really hot pit stops in GT4 cars. 
Um, so like on the, on the GT4 McLaren, they have, we have a single lug wheel um, instead of a five lug wheel. And originally, uh, the first wheel lug that we got, it, the, the different materials from the hub and the lug um, didn't jive well when they got hot, and the lugs would actually get jammed on the car, and we couldn't get them off in a timely manner in a pit stop. And our pit stop would end up taking several, sometimes several minutes when it should be Not na- deal, yeah. 90 seconds or less um, easily. Um, so we ended up having to make a new wheel lug, and we ended up with the same wheel lug that they use on the McLaren GT3 car. Um, and got it rehomologated for the car. It's been stuff, stuff like that. Um, so you talk about, so rehomologated. So is that something where you, you guys as a team figured that out on your own or, or you know, how much kind of help or, you know, assistance directly from McLaren do you get in this development process? Cause it, it seems like at this point, just from, from the outside, it looks like there's a decent amount of assistance going on. It's um, to- very much a partnership in the past year between McLaren GT and, uh, compass racing over here. And some of the other teams as well. A lot of it's been done through Compass Racing. Now with the, some of the transitions that are happening at uh, McLaren Automotive and McLaren GT, it's automotive is stepping in big time now. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. Explain, if you can, to me and to whoever may be listening, the difference between McLaren GT, McLaren Automotive, and what kind of that means for McLaren customer race cars now and in the future. Because that that's kind of an interesting an interesting transition going on at the moment, um, and I don't think a lot of people really understand what that's uh, that's all about. So I guess it was uh, six or seven years ago, maybe even eight years ago. Auto- McLaren Automotive released the twelve CG. I guess it was two thousand nine. So so McLaren Automotive being the McLaren that we all think of, the the company that makes the Formula One cars and the road cars. We can go even further. There's prior to. Uh, December of last year, there was actually three different companies. There was McLaren, which is the Formula One team, McLaren Applied Technologies. They make uh, IndyCar ECUs, they make NASCAR ECUs, they make the NASCAR Digital Dashes. Um, they make pretty much everything you've never heard of, McLaren makes. If, I wouldn't be surprised. Some of the street cars you drive, you go and you can crack open these units and have a little McLaren. They'll go on. It's a McLaren ECU. Um, you have McLaren Applied Technologies, and you have McLaren, the Formula One team, and then you had McLaren Automotive. Uh, they're now all combined un- under McLaren now, but we still have the little subsects. So we have McLaren Automotive kind of working on its own, McLaren Formula One team working on its own, and McLaren Applied Technologies. So I guess nine years ago now, it's 2018, right? Um, they decided McLaren Automotive wanted to race their new streetcar, the MP412C uh, streetcar. So they went to a race team at the time that they had some dealings with in the past it was crs um run by a, ga- a guy named andrew cacaldi they ran everything from formula three they raced ferraris and blancpont gt um i believe they even ran some ferrari challenge stuff in europe um rather successfully they came up with a deal to build the gt3 car they built the first mp412c gt3 that uh, went pretty well and so so the, at that point crs became known as mclaren gt yes Okay. CRS, but it's, it's still remained a separate entity, totally separate entity contracted to build race cars for McLaren automotive. Uh, and that Got became it. McLaren GT, that car morphed into what was the 650 SGT three several years later. And then that eventually when McLaren wanted to do the GT four car, uh, this is when it starts to get a little fuzzy. They wanted to kind of develop the car with uh, CRS and eventually take it in house. Um, and I don't think that idea was fully comprehended on both sides and we start to get to the point here where i I'm, i really don't have any right to talk because i don't know what's going on but um we have a little disagreement at the moment and 
what the end game is eventually going to be here is automotive is taking all their racing back in house. So now the, the GT four car, whereas a year ago was being produced by McLaren GT is now being completely produced in house by McLaren automotive. Um, they're designing a new GT three car, 720s GT three. That's also being designed completely in house by McLaren automotive. Um, so I, I believe CRS GT they're they're continuing to race the 650s GT3 this year. Uh, McLaren GT is under CRS is racing the 650s GT3 under the McLaren GT name for this year. Uh, they have the team Garage 59 that they've run in Blancpain GT. They've run GT Open in Europe, and uh, even last year they ran GT4 cars in British GT as Garage 59. Um, gotcha. Okay, so that that kind of paints. Uh, a more clear picture for people, I guess, of what's going on in, in terms of McLaren and their GT racing. Cause it's, it's a little bit in flux. It's a little bit fuzzy and gray, but that helps me. And, and I think maybe a lot of other people understand kind of where McLaren's at. Obviously, you know, it sounds like there's a new exciting GT three car coming. There's continued development of what I'm guessing is the next, uh, and continuing versions of GT four. Cause that platform is still very healthy worldwide and still kind of looks like the future. Of- well, and also in GT4, you're, you're allowed small developments throughout the, the homologation of the car. So it's a five-year homologation. You're allowed small developments throughout it. It's not like GT3 where when you sign the paperwork, you're done, sold, done. Can't do anything else to it. Um, you're allowed until small... Until the up- next model year. Or next, exactly. Next until, model you make it, until you make an Evo kit or you do a new homologation. Right, right or an Evo kit. Um, exactly. In GT4, you're... And, you're and it's what, one Evo kit every... It's one, three year, three one years or kit five per homologation. Okay, one per homologation. Gotcha. Um, so like they like uh, Ferrari released the the four eight eight GT three two years ago. They released an Evo, Evo kit, kit this year. Right. They literally had one year in it, um, and now they. I as far as my understanding of the rules, they can't release another Evo kit. But granted, at the same time, the Ferrari GT three car can also be converted to GTE, so it might as well be a GTE car. Um, right. It's an interesting thing they've done there. Um, I'm not sure if that's in the spirit of the rules, but. <laughs> And then, you know, we can go into escalating costs and all this stuff. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but that's, are, that's another rabbit. Those hole are big down. rabbit holes. Exactly. We can, we can go down. Okay. So that's, that's kind of an, an interesting, um, segue into, I guess the, the next part of this, which is, um, it sounds like you, you know, you've got a lot of McLaren inside knowledge here. You've been driving them and racing them for a couple of years now. Um, you know, have you, have you been involved in any of the development for this next car? Uh, I mean, will you be driving the the 720 GT3? I mean, you know, if they sh- I don't know the exact time frame when we're <laughs> going to roll out for testing. It'll be uh, coming up soon, sometime. But but the, the point is, you there was kind of a a big announcement made about you recently, right? So, so recently, I was. So uh, th- this is where I, yeah. I stopped you earlier. But you know, congrats are in order because I signed a contract with McLaren as a factory driver, one of four new factory drivers for them. Awesome. Um, so just congrats on that. That's like huge you. news. That's huge opportunity for you. And I'm excited to see where kind of where that takes you. So talk, I'm really interested to talk about that side of things. You're 21 years old. You're just signed to, to McLaren, you know, one of the most iconic automotive brands of all time. Uh, not only that, one of the most iconic racing teams and, and, you know, in terms of racing heritage, it's up there um, with Ferrari in terms of iconic name in racing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it kind of doesn't get any better than that. So talk about the process of becoming a 21 year old factory driver or anything, much less, you know, a, a McLaren factory driver. And obviously I, you know, I, I realize. McLaren, like we just talked about, is in a bit of a transition time. And so you're, you're racing the GT4 car in the States right now. It sounds like, you know, there's, 
kind of the doors are wide open for what you may be doing for McLaren in the future uh, in terms of your, your driving and your involvement with the next generations of cars. But I guess I kind of want to rewind again, again from here and, and tell me how, how did you get, how did Paul Holton, the 21 year old McLaren factory driver get to where you are now? I mean, map it out for us. If, if all the way back to the beginning, including all the blunders that went through there. there Absolutely. The the more entertaining and embarrassing stuff you can talk about, the better. Well, you know, I, I got into it pretty late. I think I was 14 when I really kind of caught the bug of racing. Um, and then it took some, How, how did you get into it? I watched global rallycross on TV for a while, which is rather embarrassing. And then I watched American what? Top Gear, which Why is, is that even Im- more embarrassing. Well, wait a minute. That's- There's one is more embarrassing than the other. Why is rallycross embarrassing? Because it's kind of dying now, and it it's been mismanaged in the U.S. In my opinion, they- okay, but that's not embarrassing. It's not watching I, I, watching it on TV. Nobody knows that. I mean, it, it's an it, awesome it's, product to it's watch. It's an awesome product, but it's also I say it's embarrassing now because it's not really, in my opinion, like a really pure form of racing. It's like at that point I couldn't, I would get on and I'd like watch Ken blocks, like 30 second clip of whatever. I couldn't sit down and watch a 20 minute in-car video or a 30 minute or an hour long in-car video. It took some time to develop my interest level sure. and, and want desire to actually study that but, hard. But you could argue that, Hey, it, it kind of worked. I mean, it, it was this kind of bite-sized, you know, really quick, high intensity it action packed. It. And it's like, Whoa, what's that all about? It's kind of like, I mean, kind of like motocross with cars, you know, short heats, you know, contact, you know, sliding around, you know, really intense type of racing. So it, that's what, what caught your attention. So, you know, it sounds like it didn't come from a racing family in terms no. of, you know, background and, and exposure to it. So your exposure to it was through this kind of new interest. Well, not new because rallycross has been around forever. And that's again, what new I don't to the think US at that a point. lot of people realize, but right. New, you know, new to the U S and this, this kind of series that was, Doing big things, you know. Red Bull was sponsoring him at the it was, time. It was and, new to us. It was on ESPN. It was at the X Games. It was everything that like a fourteen-year-old kid turns on and watches on the TV. Yeah, so it was okay. In my face. I originally, I wanted to go do rallycross. Um, that was not quite the most successful thing because rallycross is kind of, at least in the U.S. at the time, it was very close knit, close knit group. Uh, you needed the one point two million dollars for the season, um, and you needed a team. And there weren't exactly a lot of teams, and there weren't a lot of cars. Um, there weren't a lot of opportunities even for someone who maybe had the sponsorship at the time. Sure. Um, so that kind of, that door wasn't this most available thing. Uh, what was available was going to a racing school. (laughs) Yeah. Um, which is what I did. I went to a school in South Florida. Uh, wasn't too bad actually. Um, So what, so you, you grew up in Florida in the, the butt crack of Florida, Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, no love for the hometown, huh? No, no love for that place. Uh, Okay. I like going back twice a year, but I, <laughs> I don't particularly enjoy it the rest of the time. All right. And you still live in Florida, but not in the butt crack, as you call it. I've moved uh, to just below the butt crack in Orlando. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so what racing school did you go to in South Florida? I went to a little school at uh, Palm Beach International Raceway. Uh, I don't even remember what it was called. It was run by a guy by the name of Henry Gilbert. Um, like, he was oh, in, like, yeah, like hooked on driving. So it, it wasn't hooked on driving. It was his actual racing school. Hooked on driving is the... Is like that's the his track, track day, day track day yeah. thing. Yeah, but so I'm, I'm trying, I think for it was Henry like the Corvette. It's a, it's a Corvette racing. Yeah, it was like, so it was like C5 Corvettes. Yep. Um, yeah, I've worked for Henry before, and and I don't know that he does the racing school side of it anymore. But but yeah, Henry Gilbert and Hooked on Driving are still very much uh, active in, in South Absolutely. Florida. So so you find this racing school in South Florida, you go drive some Corvettes, and you go, yeah, okay, this isn't Rallycross, but this is pretty sweet this for as cool. a 14, 15 year old kid getting to you know rip Corvettes around the racetrack. Yeah. 
So, so where do you go from there? So I start, I start poking around and I find the SCCA, uh, sports car club of America. I start poking through the central Florida regions website and I come across this like race car for rental thing. And I start reading about like how you can rent a race car for different races, get your license. I ended up getting my license out of the school, not doing the, the SCCA's little ladder system. Right. Um, and right. So, so you're trying to fast track yourself here and you, you find some race cars for rent. Yeah. I, I cold call this guy by the name of Aaron Nash. Um, who decides to let me rent his race car at Daytona of all places for the first race. Um, I didn't do too bad. Um, what, and what kind of race car was it? It was a E36 M3 BMW. Okay. And, and this is in an SCCA race. Yeah. An SCCA race. It was uh, and you're what, you're still 14. You're 15 at this point. I think I'm 15 at this point. Okay. And, um, rather young, uh, can't even drive the car on my own on the street. Uh, but I'm out ripping around 31 degrees of banking at Daytona. That was, I remember when we first started the first race of that weekend, there's just, on these weekends, there's usually two races, one on Saturday, one on Sunday. I'm going around, I'm like, wow. Um, I don't actually know what I'm doing here. Um, and there's other people around, so I'm just going to follow the leader here, <laughs> but it was a good enough experience. I ended up back with Aaron like two weeks later at, uh, at Sebring at another good weekend there. And then I had a little bit of a uh, hiatus because I mean, I'm in high school and school started. So this was like August, September range. Um, right. I had, th- this is still something that's like, you, this is a, like a hobby. This is like yeah. a cool thing to do. This was, I was very, very, there was, uh, there was no thought at this point that this, this is a career path potentially. Exactly. I was very serious into soccer particularly. And I was playing football at the time. Um, mostly serious about soccer football was gotcha. kind of like the fall well, pastime well, thing. So, so as a high schooler, not that like any of us knew anything at, at 15 years old, but like what, what was your, what was your path at that point? I mean, what, what did your, I wanted to play soccer and I wanted to either be a mechanical engineer or aerospace engineer. All right. Um, that was until I realized how long I would be looking at a computer every day <laughs> and how long I'd be sitting behind a desk every day as an engineer. Okay. So, um, so then pretty quickly you, you realize, Hey, I, I really like this racing thing. You maybe start to have some good results. It, I'm it, guessing. Took, it took some of the kind of the better results to come along. Um, we had like a, it was a couple months later, did a race, another race at Sebring this time in an E30 and was actually pretty ah, competitive. So went from had, a, went to a slower car, went to, went to a slower car. Yeah, I've heard that story um, before. And, and so maybe learned a little bit about momentum and what driving we, is all about. And actually that, that same weekend, weekend I met this, uh, nice family with the last name Holbrook, um, met Shay and her dad, Jeff and, uh, her now husband, Nick, um, they were there. They had a Formula Mazda. I had been interested in Formula cars when I first after the school. Aren't we and all? My, yeah. And my mom had put the kibosh on that. Nope, not driving Formula cars. So they yeah. had this Formula car, and it was just my dad and I there. And we're like, okay, we want to go test this thing. <laughs> so we, we, we got into this thing where I'd go test it at Roebling Road. And they, at the same time, said, okay, come test this Honda Fit that we're running in Prelly World Challenge. Um, and at the same time, I had Aaron going, okay, well, let's go race Spec Miata. Kind of Aaron's kind of helping me, like figure out where I need to be or how I need to kind of develop myself to just become better. Just right. So, so, so at this point, Aaron's kind of coaching and mentoring and yes. saying, Hey, this, this kid's kind of serious and wants to keep doing this. And precisely. So, gotcha. Um, so we go along, we go and do the test at uh Roebling road. I was pretty quick in the form of the car. I mean, Roebling roads, a rather simple track to figure out um, pretty quick in the form of the car. And I, I, kept up with Shay extremely well in the, in the TCB car in the Honda fit, which if you don't, Shay is a very good professional level driver. Um, so that was kind of like one of those things which was like, wow, okay. The kid plays follow the leader pretty well. Um, 
kind of monkey see monkey do kind of could do it. Um, so from there we decided we were going to race that season of world challenge. Uh, and actually that was two days before my first spec me out weekend at road Atlanta with another team that we had rented a car from who's, uh, OPM Autosports, And these are actually some of the best people on the face of the planet. Um, I would agree with that. Yeah. Tom, yeah. Fa- Tom and Tracy Fowler. Yeah. And the, the whole spec me out of paddock is, is awesome. full of awesome people and awesome drivers as I, well. I will say I tried my best to alienate myself that first weekend. I've heard, as, I've heard some, I wasn't there for that one. I've been around for some of your spec me out of shenanigans, but I I've heard shenanigans. I've heard some really good that, that might be a whole nother episode where we just talk oh, about that spec was, me out of shenanigans. If, if you're not familiar with how an SCCA weekends work on the day before the weekend, there's a test day and there's usually four sessions for each group. <laughs> And I black flagged two of four sessions. <laughs> You're in making the, a in, lot in, of friends in, in the same corner. <laughs> so they were not happy with me. Um, but the weekend went on and I got much better. <laughs> Made it after that. Didn't really have an incident on track. Um, they were happy to have me back a couple weeks later at uh, VIR for another spec me auto race, which went much better. I was racing in a, it went from kind of racing with the guys at the back of the pack to being in the middle of the pack. There's a, a marked improvement in pace. Um, just understanding how to drive the car and how to drive in general. Um, this is still at the point where I'm just figuring out how to go fast, not even not even mention the racecraft part. Um, and in fact, actually, when I the teammates at OPM, Danny Stain, ended up coming to coach me at the first World Challenge weekend when Aaron couldn't make it. Uh, that was at Barber Motorsports Park. So, the, so Pirelli World Challenge that year, you were racing a TCB or B spec, yes, as it's known, Honda Fit. So. That car, ninety-four you, horsepower in you, all its glory. You think a spec Miata is slow? The B spec car is ten Horrendously times slower. as slow. Yeah, um, but but a great momentum car, a great car to learn on. And you know, if you can drive that car fast, uh, you can kind of drive anything fast. And, and, and not that, only that's that. the theory. And it, but it's also about you know, with slow cars like that, it's it's all about racecraft. At the time, there were twenty-five cars in class too. Absolutely, it was, it was stacked. Um, and there were a lot of, so there were some really good drivers. There's like Brian Bryce and Johan Schwartz and, uh, actually Nate Stacy was in it at the same time. And, um, right. um so, so this is B spec, but you're still racing at, at pro weekends now and being yeah. kind of exposed to this bigger, broader, that first scarier weekend was an world weekend. Right. So that's what I'm saying is th- there's this bigger world out there of professional racing now that like you've kind of either knowingly or unknowingly dipped your foot into and gone, Whoa, this isn't an SCCA weekend. There's people here totally unknowingly, you know, there's big sponsorship. There's big money here. There's money being spent. There's money being made. Um, was that kind of your, there was a funny moment actually. It was like the day I got, and I had this thing. Uh, we had a bunch of land that I grew up on and I, from the time, maybe I was like 16 in, or maybe in Tallahassee, 15, right? in Tallahassee, maybe from the time I was 14 to 18, I, I didn't, I didn't like shoes unless they were cleats. Cleats or flip-flops. Um, so the I, flip-flop thing, I understand, being from Florida, but cleats just because you played soccer so much? Yeah, no, I, I would either be barefoot in cleats or flip-flops. And the flip-flops yeah. were pretty much only for me to go to school. And otherwise, I was barefoot. I'd walk around barefoot on the property. I'd walk around barefoot doing anything. I'd work on my car on whatever we had in our garage in the shop there. So Barefoot. Is so, this, where is this going? Is this? Are you going to tell me you're walking around barefoot at the racetrack? I totally showed up at the racetrack barefoot. Good, I walked good. in. I walked good into decision-making from, from in, an early age. Oh, yeah. I walked into the Holbrook's trailer and there's uh, Jeff Lepper and Shay Adam, two of the, the announcers yeah. for the series. And they look at me walking in. I'm, I'm a 16 year old kid. I'm wearing chubbies. I've got my hair all nicely slacked back. And, and for, I've got for no people who don't on. know you or know what you look like, you, you've had some pretty amazing hair over the last few years. And so this was first season. Did, did you have your long hair then? 
Uh, no, it was okay. Like, it wasn't the long. This hair, is so. when the hair started to grow out. This is like <laughs> okay. Um, so so still, you're looking at like a beach bum essentially at the much. racetrack. Uh, effectively, yes. Okay. Um, I remember them literally laughing when I walked into the trailer. Yeah, going, and, yeah. and these are some of the top media people in the series like, going. Oh wow! Look at the uh, the young. The, look at the new kid. Yeah, and they're like, it's, you, you're not going to make that work. Um, yeah, so I started wearing shoes. I I, I, uh, I think I uh, compromised with Sperry's and loafers. Um, <laughs> which is still very much on the beach bum side of things. And then we went to I think we went to New Jersey Motorsports. No, we went to Barber. Then we went to Mosport. Mosport, I had a fast lap, which was the first like, or I, rather, I led practice in the rain. Um, this was one thing I think I was good in the rain at that point because I didn't know that there was less grip in the rain. <laughs> you didn't know what you didn't know. I, I yeah. didn't, I you, you didn't I know didn't, you should have been scared. I didn't have, I literally, I didn't know I should be scared. And so okay. I was, so I that was, was a, that was a powerful thing for, I you. was really fast in the rain. I was really, really fast. Um, so, so, but still at this point, maybe not recognizing this as a career or starting to recognize that this is a potential path because i'm again i'm trying to connect the dots here of from from your whole process of you know becoming a a factory driver here for 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 those people who might be listening and going wow you know how does one do that how could i do that i I just i think your your story is interesting because you've you've you know you there's no i mean everybody's story is interesting but yours especially because you're a 21 year old mclaren factory driver you know it's an incredible thing to be very proud of but at what point did you internally kind of go, okay, you know, I can, I'm good at this, you're know, gaining some confidence. And, and then from there going, you know, I, I can make a career out of this and, and I can, and there, there's a path, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a goal that's within reach. You know, at what point that light switch hasn't gone off yet at this point, I'm has, still, that hasn't gone off yet. I'm and you're a factory very, driver. No. Oh, well <laughs> that's gone off at this point. But at, at this point, uh, in, in B spec, like first couple weekends that hasn't, Sure. Fully dawned on me. What, no. what I was so infatuated. This goes back to the the Instagram watching Ken Block and Tanner Faust and these guys from Global Rallycross, and you get the thirty second clip of the, the car sliding, being all cool. You just want to be cool. Music. I, I mean, I race showed, cars are cool. I showed up. Race car with drivers a, are cool, and you want to be cool, and that that's where you're at. I showed up with a solid like six or seven GoPros on a weekend I, and mounted them all over the race car, and I'd go back and I'd spend so much time messing with the video and doing all this stuff. That was the most important thing to me. I didn't care about driving the race car. I wanted the cool video. <laughs> So we go through, we, right. we, we go through a couple race weekends and we get, then we get to road America and I ended up winning the race in the rain. And that was kind of when it's like, Oh, okay. Gaining some confidence here. I've, I've won the race. I've led every single lap. I didn't make a mistake. Um, I, I fended off some really good guys like Johan Schwartz and Brian price. And even, uh, um, uh, NASCAR kid. What's his name? Ryan Reed, Ryan Reed, Ryan yeah, Reed was I racing that, that, weekend. that weekend. Yeah. He was your teammate that weekend. He was my teammate that weekend. Um, so that was that was interesting, uh, winning that race, and then I was on the podium the next race, uh, and then we went to some continued through the year. Uh, had a couple more podiums, uh, not any more wins. Um, finished off the year at um, Utah, and actually at some point I ended up racing a Cayman with you. Yeah, that's in, right. We uh, drove together in at Road America. It wrote America in the ST class. That had to be 20. It was 2014. 14. Yeah. That sounds about right. And, uh, you, and that had, was your, your kind of dipping your toe into now the IMSA endurance, endurance racing, racing yeah. side of things. And okay. you had actually been released of your contract with compass racing, uh, That's right. to race that race with me in which you introduced me to compass racing. 
That's right. Um, Carl, are you listening? Carl Thompson, yes. <laughs> the the great and powerful talk, Carl Thompson. <laughs> the man um, behind the curtain. Yeah, the great and powerful Oz. <laughs> Yeah, I, I remember that weekend. weekend well. I remember that weekend well. So, so that I mean, that was your intro- introduction to the IMSA endurance racing side of things. And I mean, you know, as you talk about, you know, you and I have known each other a long time, and you know, we had talked about maybe doing some driving together at some point, and so we did that race together. But you know, I'm I, I talk about I guess where you are at still. You know, what what are you thinking at this point? I mean that that you know, world challenge and B spec was, you know, you've won a couple races. Okay. We're done with that. Is that what your mentality was? Or are you still kind of, kind of like a blind man in the dark kind of feeling your um, way through this blind man in the dark. It was starting to realize that like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need a lot of practice, whatever yeah, it is. Seat like, time. Lots and lots of seat time. Um, so keep in mind this whole time while I'm doing B spec, I'm, if I'm not in a B spec car, I was in a spec Miata. If I could be in a spec Miata, if the weekend was free, I'd be in a spec Miata. Um, which with, is, is hugely valuable. Oh I mean, yeah. If you've got the time and, and opportunity. That's anybody. If you, if I, I'd recommend that to anybody who, who exactly. can afford the time and, 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 you know, uh, opportunity to, to go do that. Um, that's one of the best ways to, to learn racecraft, to learn how to drive, how to drive. anything quickly. Yeah. You can drive one of those things quickly. Like we talked about earlier, that's, uh, you're like put, a, put yourself you, way ahead of the game. Exactly. Um, so that goes along and I'm, I'm still very much infatuated with the, the video side of things. I don't really understand data uh, analysis and telemetry from the race car. Um, kind of go along through that year. I, tr- we originally, we went to Carl we went, okay, we want to drive with you. Um, D didn't have a spot for me originally. Yeah. And, this, I and then we come back to you again with this new cat on the block, Dustin Bellinzoni and this new, uh, operation RS one. They were doing Porsche Caymans again in the in the um, Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge. You and I went down and tested it, and his car was fast as all hell. Yeah, first car, time out at at Sebring. His cars were and are fast. Um, they still are. Yeah. Um, so at that same time, a seat opened up with Compass, which I promptly snapped up. Um, yep. Took the opportunity there. Um, Justin and I planned to put together another program in World Challenge, which never fizzled, never actually happened for various and sundry reasons. Um, so uh, that goes on. I end up in this Audi S3 with Compass. And at the same time, now with my RS1 program not happening, I also did uh, a Honda Civic in TCA in World Challenge. Gotcha. Which so, is, so again, seat time, seat time, seat time. And, seat and time at this point, you're racing spec me out at the same time. Right. So at this point, now you're, you're with. Compass 360, and it seems, again, to me, you know, knowing you and, and having, you know, seen you come up and, and kind of been a part of this, um, it seems I mean, like this was not without its its fair share of blunders in it. I mean, I definitely at oh, one sure. point took a about a foot off the width of a spec Miata on a concrete wall, <laughs> cracking it, cracking a two foot thick concrete wall in half. I if mean, I remember, that might have been like a brand new spec Miata. Too. No, 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 it was no? it was not brand new. Okay. I haven't killed a brand new spec Miata yet. I'm still trying. I, I think if any, if there are any spec Miata drivers listening to this, please like comment or write in with. Oh, I'm sure they will. With, with this will be all over spec Miata. Any kind of on. info uh, you have or, or uh, dirt on Paul you have, and uh, I'll just add it. I'll, I'll do a, an added segment to the end of this. It's um, just gonna be a monologue from John Miller. It, it's just gonna be, be me reading spec Facebook comments. Exactly. I'm just gonna be reading your Facebook comments and emails about you know stories that that. Paul has done at the track for unspec Miata weekends. Cause I'm sure there are, well, I, I know a bunch of them that won't make the cut here because they're, they're probably still lawsuits ongoing. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully not. Um, um 
But no, so so again, back to seat time. You're doing uh, a dual program here with Compass, running the Audi and the the and Civic. And Audi PwC. was thoroughly it was a brand new car. It was very much a development program, right? And the, so th- this this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. This is a the last of the last of race cars that you you build at own. home and not at home, but build in the shop. Start with a street car, strip it down the old fashioned way, build it back up as a race car and develop it, make it fast, figure out what works, figure out what doesn't. That whole process takes time and energy and really smart people and money. And so, you know, that first year, I mean, talk about that. I mean, that learning process. That was uh, really valuable actually to kind of watch that happen because got some really smart engineers with uh, Robin Romish and Marcos uh, De Leon um, working on the car. And it was it was actually really interesting. Just, just fighting against the electronics, exactly right? Ma- making a streetcar do. We couldn't turn traction control. We couldn't do. turn traction control all the way off. Literally couldn't turn it off because you can't turn it off in the stock ECU. You couldn't you couldn't get it out. We and uh, the series wouldn't let us put in a a, a, um, a motorsports ECU in the car. So that was always interesting. And I actually I guess I think this is just because again I I didn't have the knowledge base of how a car should be driven. I pretty quick. I didn't do much of the preseason testing in it. Um, by the time we didn't race the car at Daytona for the first race, we raced a Civic. Um, I qualified fastest of all the Civics. It was all Caymans in front of me. It was I qualified seventh. There were six Caymans, and I was seventh. And then Chad Gilsinger was eighth, right behind me, who's been in Civics forever. Um, so that was that was very encouraging. Uh, we debuted the car at Sebring. I actually got in a wreck. That was not my fault. I was the meat in the sandwich of uh, a lot of cars of a big metal sandwich, um, that, which happens. Part of racing. Yeah, sometimes it happens. Uh, and I actually didn't even do any testing while my co-driver Kyle Gimple was doing the the development work on the car, as well as Nico Ronde. And it it was pretty pretty soon after that that I was the quickest one in the car i figured out a couple tricks that uh i was just like oh well i tried this and everybody's like looked at me funny i was like it worked right um, and because this, it was something that was totally totally unorthodox like it was, it was, was this, it is was, this because you didn't just didn't know any better or because you were you know actively trying different things to i think it's actively i think it's both i didn't know any better it would be like i would left foot brake but and it wouldn't give me a downshift so while i was on the brake i would hit the gas and rev the motor and it would give me the downshift this is sure. with a and this is granted. This is a car with paddle shifts, which is typically, especially with a car that supposedly blips itself and is supposed to blip itself. Right, a DSG yeah, street DSG gearbox street with gearbox. all the computers and electronics that go along with that. Everybody looked at me like I was crazy. I was like, "Why don't you try it next time?" And they did, and they're like, "Oh, it works." Okay, and and so you're starting to figure things some, out. Some yeah. other things that I would do that wouldn't upset the the stability control and traction control as much as other people. Um, and, and when they were trying to really drive it like a race car, whereas I would kind of drive it. I guess more like a streetcar. Um, so that was that was really good learning, like how to how to kind of develop a car and how to just figure out when when the car is well, not working the way you want it to. Why don't you try something different? Yeah, how to how to think about things. Yeah, um, that was great in parallel with the World Challenge program at that time because that allowed me to go win. Uh, yeah, that was, was a competitive. That car, was competitive a competitive program. car. Competitive car uh, against some good drivers. Um, was able to go out there and qualify on the pole and go win races. I think I won four races that year. Didn't do the full championship. I mean, I even got in some trouble in there as well. This is um, like a common theme with you. Yeah, I'm good at getting in trouble. Yeah, but um, that's all. In the but past, that was right? that was like 
that again, that was stupid. And that was really like, oh, there's a hole there. I can throw it in. There was there was no un, there was no filter. I would say there was no uh, there was no racecraft. Right, was, and and it wasn't like you were <coughs> wasn't like you were you know trying to take people no, out. No, no, it wasn't it was, like you were this hothead red mist driver. Or or it it, was, I think maybe that was the perception of you at the time. For sure, uh, but it's it's this inexperience mixed with some some talent, so, some speed, some ambition. And, you know, kind of all in a pot together of you trying to figure it out. And, you know, the, the end product sometimes was you won the race and looked like a hero. And uh, the other times it was maybe, you know, you got, uh, great had, had you go to the principal's office. Yeah, great example was at, at most part, I ended up putting Jason Wolf in the wall big time, but it was, I rolled more speed down to the apex and it, it was purely from turn in to the apex that I got down to his door and he didn't realize I was there and came down to the apex and actually turned himself sideways. And when I backed out, he went into a tank slapper into the wall. And it, maybe if I hadn't backed out, he would have just kind of slowly t- gone back st- sideways or gotten back straight from being sideways on power. Sure. But I, it was just like it was there was a hole there and I knew and how much roll, I knew how much speed, speed I could roll in. I, I knew I could right. do that. And I did you knew it. You could do that if uh, there wasn't, wasn't a another car, car there. there. Yeah, exactly. I was, <laughs> it, I was and I was kind of expecting like, oh, if I get there, he'll give it to me. Um, right. That's what you expect at that point. You're like, Oh, it's mine. Well, that's not how racing works. Right. Sure. Um, and that was an interesting, that ended up, I got some points on my license for that one. <laughs> I still think unjustly, but, uh, so that was, that was a learning experience. The whole, the whole season, that whole, again, still a learning experience. Right. We went through and, uh, at the end of that year kind of went, okay, we need to get away from this S3. We need something we can go win races in. Um, the opportunity arose with Multimatic, which is a the factory, the team that builds all the factory race cars for Ford, uh, who is actually 20 minutes away in Toronto from Compass Racing Shop. They uh, IMSA created a new rule where if you were running a factory race car, you had to have a customer team as well. Um, so we ended up in this program with a Multimatic, and they had a stipulation they didn't want a gentleman driver in the car. Um, they wanted two fast guys. So Carl Thompson went to them and went, okay, we have Paul and we can put Pierre in the car with him. Pierre Kleinubing. Kleinubing. Yep. Um, so I've, I've, this kind of starts. So whereas Kyle was, I wouldn't say the, the well-established pro that I was driving with. He was fast, but he, he certainly wasn't a Pierre Kleinubing or, or a, um, sure, a Jerome Bleakamolen or someone. Kyle had more experience than you at the time, but you guys are still both young guys kind of yeah. trying to show what you can do. Exactly. Driving together and, and you know. In certain circumstances, I would say that that's a kind of a potent pairing. Uh, it has the potential for. Um, I mean, that shows potent pairing this past weekend. Max Hoffer and Philip Ellis uh, winning GT Masters at Oscarslaven because that's exactly the same thing. So, so I'm glad you brought that up. You know, jumping ahead a little bit, you know, talk, talk about briefly about who those guys are and what they did, and then can we how- can we finish like this? We got we got this timeline going on here. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. well uh, we, you you changed the timeline on us here. You brought up some people we haven't talked about yet. So, okay. let's just briefly explain who who those those guys are and how you know them from racing in Europe, and then we'll get back to the multimatic so, stuff. At the same time, at the end of 2015, with the Audi involvement, I uh, applied to be in the Audi TT Cup, which several hundred Audi Sport TT Cup, which is run mostly in Germany. Um, 
It's like a six race calendar. You're all in the same car. There's 20 permanent drivers. They bring in guest drivers like you drive against like Lucas Degrassi. They have Scott Speed there the first weekend. And this is an Audi development program exactly. where they're, they're looking for the next factory drivers to, to put into their correct, you know, their DTM programs. They're at, at the time their LMP one programs. So uh, again, and this is the theme I co- keep coming back to because you know, the, 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 what I want to talk about here and what I, I kind of always want to keep in mind and bring people back to is, you know, the, the career side of, of this industry and kind of that, that's what we're talking about here and, and the, the business and, you know, how you approached it. So now you're, you've, been selected or, or you've applied for this Audi TT cup development program where the prize or the, the, the potential, um, to open the door to get into this Audi program. Is it at this point that you're going, Oh wow. Factory driver. That that's, that's a thing that I need to be trying to do. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is end, so, so end of the, 2015. The, flip is, the, to go. the switch has been flipped. You're going, okay, I can, I'm, I can, do I, can this. I can do this. And I, I want to do this at a very high level and, you know, be associated with, with a manufacturer and drive for a manufacturer as a factory guy. Like, Th- that, of, that's now the goal. End of 2015, it was like, okay, I want to be a factory driver and I want to be a factory driver for as long as I can. I want to like, that's right. the single solitary goal is I want to be a factory driver. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a good, I don't want to be a great driver. That's not a factory driver. I want to be a factory driver because there's, there's a whole different level once you're at a factory level. Um, and actually, at the end of 2015, beginning of 2016, we if you remember we, I uh, I was really infatuated with the video and stuff. I cut that out completely. The video went out the window, and I went and studied data. And I had Marcos teach me a lot about data. Um, Marcos taught me about data. Yeah, you taught me something about data. Um, Marcos did a whole lot of it at that point. Um, this was your engineer on the the Audi on the Audi, yes. Yep. Um, and even he did some work on the Mustang as well. Yep. The Mustang is actually the first time uh, Ray Lee became my engineer. Uh, it was the technical director at Compass. Um, so, and so, so what was that that program like then in terms of you know your development and now you're working with these high level guys who are taking an interest in you because you're taking a, a really serious interest in your driving as, as a career, not just a, 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 a quote unquote gentleman or, or somebody who's doing this for fun. You're a young guy, you know, chasing this as as something you want to do. For for the rest of your life and, and get paid well to do it. So you know, did, did the, the dynamic in the team change? Did people start looking at you differently? I mean, how did you, how did you, you know, um, I guess, how did you change your approach if, if at all? And you know, how, how did that affect what was going on around you? Carl's got this, uh, I don't want to call it a grand scheme, but this idea of kind of like a, a driver. Carl Thompson, Carl Thompson, team principal of Compass Racing. Yeah, he's got this yeah. I, this this uh, I don't want to call it a goal, but this this idea of having a driver development program. And I think it was kind of at the end of 2015 where the whole the whole the whole team kind of went, okay, this kid can be the start of this, can actually do it. Um, and so that was part of the reason why I was kind of pushed for uh, the Mustang program. With Carl, you, with, you pushed for the Mustang. I, I, or, or I you pushed, were like Carl, Carl pushed for me with, at Multimatic. Went and vouched for me myself to drive with Pierre in the car. Because um, at this point, you're still kind of unknown to them, and, and Multimatic's no a big deal. I mean, they're, deal. they're the ones who build and uh, build the, the four GT, four GT, the, the street the, car the, the and street, the race car, exactly, and race the car in Europe, and, around the world, and you know, build Formula One suspension, and you know, have built all kinds of. They're dampers on most of the Formula One field. It, Exactly. So, so being associated with Multimatic as a, you're 
19, 18 at the time. 19. Yeah. So, so being associated with Multimatic as you know, a development driver for the sister to the factory team, yeah. this is this is a big deal. And it, and it was actually a really sweet sweetheart deal for me because not only did I have Pierre to work with, but I got access to Billy Johnson and Scott Maxwell's data as well and their coaching, which was huge. And, and, and Billy and Scott were driving for Multimatic, Multimatic the, the Multimatic you know quote unquote factory, factory GS team at the time. Yes. Yeah. Um, they went on to win that championship that year. We never won a race, but we had multiple podiums. Um, I actually, we had some wrecks as well. Uh, I flipped the car at Road America that year. Um, not really entirely of my fault. There was some contact between myself and another driver. It was a bit of an ambitious move on his part, and we made wheel-to-wheel contact. It broke steering on my car, and I got T-boned by another driver, and we went into the wall, and we went upside down. Um, it was actually amazing how tough that car was because two weeks later— the same car was on track at VIR. The only damage that had been, it was totally fixed. All the damage from flipping the car was cosmetic. There was not a single actual structural piece. Pretty impressive. It, really impressive. So, um, so let me, let me ask you this now that you're a few years removed from, from that program. I mean, this was a, a, you know, a factory program that you guys were a sister team to that in theory, you were supposed to have all the same stuff. It was supposed to be the same car, right? Yeah. Was it? It same? was the only thing different was we didn't have the same damper program they did. We did. so Multimatic, the internationally renowned Formula One damper building they company. Definitely, they definitely had some good damper. They, they had car. some good. They, they had the jam on their car. Oh, it, 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 it was a couple times during the year I was I was behind Scotty. It was like it was at Coda, and Coda now has actually gotten really bumpy, right? Right. Um, and I was look at the car. I was like, that they only bounce once. We bounce three times. And, um, it's like it's starting to scratch me. Oh my God, they they must be doing something we're not. Sure. Um, so I'd say I'd say ninety percent information sharing is perfectly acceptable because even between even between cars in the same team, you're not gonna you want to have that advantage. Sure. Um, so of I I don't hold anything. And I this is just my looking. I have no idea whether they could have been on the same shocks we were on all year. Right. But I mean, bounce yeah. bounce versus bounce 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 is pretty obvious. Um. That was that was and that was. I'm just trying is, to stir the pot and find interesting stories. You also got to I mean, remember that's... this is a this is a 600 horsepower car on 275 section with tires and it weighs 3,800 pounds when you roll out for a race. This thing was not easy to drive in any way, shape, or yeah. form. Um, actually, Car- Carl Thompson got out and drove this car to test day one time when we were engine testing at Road America, and I got on the radio and he gets down to turn one, and he comes on the radio and he goes, "Holy shit! How do you make this thing stop?" <laughs> manually manual brakes and the car weighs a ton so you just had to push for all your life on the brake pedal and he couldn't wrap his head around how yeah. hard you actually had to push um that car once once you figure out how to drive it was a lot of fun and it sounded really cool too i mean a v8 the revs to 80 200 rpm is pretty yeah, awesome that's that's pretty excellent um and i i learned a lot about, about how to drive a car that's doesn't have a lot of grip and has a lot of power which helped me down the road. Absolutely. Um, so that I, and I always talk about with, with the guys that I coach kind of you know, the, the grip to power ratio there you know, and, and the driving style, um, you know, that you have to ad- uh, adopt for yourself based on 
that ratio that of whatever you know your car has and so a lot of times like like a specchiata is a perfect example of something that has a ton of grip and no power so the ratio is skewed all towards grip versus you know i was just coaching this week uh, at uh at daytona for a club event uh, the, the guy that i was coaching owns uh an x8 star uh it's a coyote corvette daytona prototype awesome car literally brand new fresh rebuilt ecr Chevy engine in the thing making, you know, upwards of 620 or 640 some horsepower, I think is what they quoted. But, you know, engine is super, super fresh. Um, we were running on Dunlops this weekend, which is, you know, pretty good tire actually. And, and I get out there to do some data laps and, you know, the, the first few laps, even, even once the tires came up to temperature, I mean, forget about it. When the tires were cold in that thing, it was diabolical, but the, the grip to power ratio on that thing is completely reversed. I mean, talk about it's got a good amount of grip, but it's got a ton of power. And so, you know, you're, you're going through corners that, you know, I've driven in other cars that are, you know, easily flat out or, you know, where you can really you know get on the power without even thinking about it. And I'm in this DP with, you know, 600 plus horsepower and I'm, you know, still kind of not even quite at full throttle by the time I'm tracking out because the thing is just trying to step out on me the whole time. So that, that grip to power ratio, it's certainly, it's the reason I'm, I'm kind of harping on it or wanting to talk about it is because it's, it's funny the way that you have to really adapt your style. And some people, it, it takes them a long time to wrap their heads around that kind of a thing. Um, and it sounds like this Mustang was one of those, you know, that ratio gets flipped on you and somebody who's used to driving, you know, high grip cars that are big momentum cars that you think, oh, I can, if I can drive this fast, I can drive anything fast. Well, now you get, get in something that you really have to kind of manhandle almost like kind of an old school, uh, you know, Trans Am type of car that, you know, with, with, was that again, something that you felt like kind of brought you to the next level in terms of your, your driving and your car development? Absolutely. And what was even more interesting was at the same time I was racing the TT cup car in Europe, um, same season, which is the exact opposite. Again, it's really high grip. A lot, it's a TCR based ish car in terms of regulations. It's built to TCR regs kind of, but it's not quite, um, it's not a hatchback. They won't allow it. <coughs> um, but, but front wheel drive, front wheel drive, high grip, 330 and- horsepower. We had 30 horsepower push to pass, which was super cool. Um, good brakes, good ABS. We were on hand cooked tires, which are really sticky, lots of arrow. So you could really attack the high speed yeah. corners. Uh, and I was also racing against, uh, 16 of literally the, some of the fastest kids in Europe. I mean, and you were the only American I was the only American. Um, in fact, when I did the interview for it, uh, Chris Disson, who was, uh, a past manager of motorsports for Volkswagen group for all the brands. Uh, sitting down interviewing and I was talking to, I forget who actually the manager of TT cup for that 2015 season that I was talking to then he literally stuck his hand out in the middle of this guy's sentence and looked at me and goes, it doesn't matter because Americans aren't fast. That was, that was the environment there. Um, and he said that like with you in the room, like said it straight to, to, to my you. face, to my, and my response was, well, I think I like to think I'm pretty fast. Um, it's the only, only thing like, it was like, like, I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, like what, how do you respond to that? Um, I didn't, I didn't do particularly well in the championship. I missed a couple races to I think my best finish was either fifth or sixth. It was at Norris ring on the street circuit. I mean, I would show up over there. I'd be absolutely jet lagged. I hadn't ever driven the track. 
I had, I had you're gonna you're gonna again you're gonna up against guys who are you know they're Germans they're Europeans they know the tracks they and, don't have this stigma of being an American and some of them who even got testing time in the car the rest of us didn't uh-huh um, so it, so you're not bitter about that at all huh <laughs> I no I'm not bitter about it because I I really like those guys and they're doing really well for themselves at the moment and that's yeah. good for them. Um, this is where I met, uh, Sheldon Vanderlinda, Max Hoffer, uh, Kelvin Vanderlinda, who's factory Audi, Max and Philip, who I, I really like. Philip's a good friend. I like Philip a lot. Um, and some other guys, Dennis Marshaw is a BMW junior now. Um, there's a lot of guys that are really good. So, at so some guys that, that you raced with a couple of years ago in this series have, have started to launch careers or, or some, yeah. some of them have become factory drivers out of this already. Yeah. Uh, Dennis is a BMW motorsport junior, uh, Sheldon has got a, a partial contract with Audi for endurance races this year. Uh, Max and Philip and uh, Gosha Redest are all Phoenix Racing Juniors. Um, who else? Uh, Eves Mayer uh, raced, uh, does Formula Drift now. Uh, he was at Long Beach. Uh, he's quite handy behind a drift car, apparently. Hmm. Um, Interesting transition. Right. Uh, well, no, he actually was a drifter, and then he came I mean, to TT Cup. Tried to be a to, yeah, did, grip racer. Did it for, and, and then, and then went, came. Went back to drifting. Went back to drifting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's <laughs> He had one of the funniest moments, scrubbing his tires, putting the car in the wall, drifting the car. It's like the drifter drifts straight into the It was a great, it was hilarious. On a warm-up lap. On a warm-up lap. Oh. That was, that was always, and we had the best debriefs. Uh, every after every session, you have the typical German debrief. Everyone gets in the room. You have a uh, Marco Werner and Marcus Winkelhock up there, and and they, they they're, they're German. They don't they don't have much mercy when it comes down to that kind of thing. Um, I can remember it, the last race at Hockenheim. They had changed the way they did track limits um, in turn one. So if you're, if you're familiar with Hockenheim, turn one is really fast, and it's very easy to exceed track limits there when you're trying to roll speed through the corner, especially because there's a big sausage curve at the apex, and you bounce the car off of it, and you really don't have much control of where you're going to end up. There's a lot of runoff room, but when they put a white line there that you're trying to stay, you're trying to just barely stay on top of, it's very easy to run over. Sure. Especially I, when I you imagine. don't necessarily understand what, how they're calling it. Um, I remember they pulled up a, a sheet of paper, and uh, they had names. And they all had tally marks next to it. And the very top was my name. And it had about 12 tally marks next to it or 15 tally marks next to it. And everyone else had like high score. maybe five. High score. That's what I said. High score. Exactly. <laughs> um, they're like, Paul, you want to stay on the track. And, and that's, that's the, actually that session I was fastest. I, I, I was fastest by almost half a second. Because you were exceeding track limits? No. My fast lap, I didn't exceed track limits. I checked the video. <laughs> but it, it was because I had raced there before. I had been there, uh, and I was okay. comfortable so in the, the car. One, I was one comfortable place you were track. comfortable pushing. Hockenheim was the only track we repeated. It was the first race of the season and the last race of the season. So gotcha. once we, so we, did, we did Hockenheim. We did Nürburgring Grand Prix course. Then we did uh, Norris Ring. Then we did Zandvoort, which is awesome racetrack, on the beach in Amsterdam. Um, then we did, I missed, uh, the Hungara ring and then we did, uh, Nürburgring DTM course. Yeah. So different from the Grand Prix course, much shorter. And then we did Hockenheim again and when we went back to Hockenheim again. I was fast. Like it was really quick. Um, didn't have the greatest race results for various reasons. I flat spotted some tires and overdrove the car a little bit. Um, but the, the pace sure. was there. You know, more importantly, or what I'm more interested in hearing about is the the off track stuff, the career development, the you know what kind of stuff are they talking about in these debriefs, and uh, you know what, what are you now picking up as a 
as a career career minded driver you know racing against all these guys who you know you feel like yeah okay yeah i'm at a bit of a disadvantage because these guys can test here they don't have the stigma of being american but you know what did you take from that that audi uh audi cup uh, tt cup excuse me experience and how did that how did that help you in your um kind of your overall career goals but you know how did you apply that uh at the beginning of the audi tt cup season we did a day of media training everyone all the drivers um and the day it was the day after we had done a day of testing at hockenheim um we had done the preseason test at hockenheim not a whole lot of track time it was kind of like a get used to the car thing and then we're gonna tell you some rules we're gonna have and that's it um did that and they did interviews for everyone at the end of the day. They did English speaking interviews and they did German speaking interviews for people who favored their language. Um, those were the two languages we were allowed to speak in TT Cup. Um, I did mine in English, of course. Not <laughs> too shabby with my. Weird. Um, with my. Uh, did you pick up any German while you were there? Uh, like I anything, got taught lots of customers. Anything polite? Yeah, exactly. That's what uh, I thought. Uh, I I know some like uh, Guten Morgen, like uh, the the yes, no, yeah, thank so, you, please, all right. those stuff. Um, Everything else I'd have to bleep. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Um, so and I did my interview, and I get there the next day, and they start going through and they start critiquing people, and uh, the one thing, all those kids, it was like they had been trained to have no personality, and they got to me, and I talked with I. I literally didn't know what to do with my hands. So we're going to go with that analogy. I talked with my hands. I had a lot of uh, enthusiasm in my voice. And I even, they even made a, they had a, con- a question and I don't remember exactly what it was, but it was along the lines of, um, uh, why do you want to do this? And I made the comment of, I just want to go fast. And they, <laughs> I guess this was like, not, they're like, this is awesome. Cause he's being himself. This is not, it's not the, the clean cut thing. Um, okay. So they so raved, that going they, for they raved, they This raved. is day one. This is before the season's even started. This is day one. This, this is, is media training. This okay. is the the guys that they had media training us absolutely raved about my interviews and how I did all that stuff, um, which was, was like okay. So I know don't change what I'm doing there. Um, that was a really that was a really strong. And, and the people who are kind of giving you this feedback to these. I mean, this is Audi Sport. Yeah. These are the people that matter. Exactly. Right. Okay. This so, is, so you're taking your feedback from. From the guys who could potentially hire you to to drive the factory race cars, and, and that that's that's a good sign. Yeah, that was uh, that was really encouraging. I mean, at that point, it's like okay, just keep doing what you're doing. Um, not too hard to keep doing that, right? Uh, year goes on. Um, we kind of go off track. We at that point we didn't know what to do because now we have GT4 regulations coming in. Right, this is going into 2017. Um, the opportunity to through uh, FAF, which is an automotive dealership group in Toronto, Canada, uh, with McLaren Toronto. Where Compass is based. Where Compass is based. An uh, opportunity to race a... Well, actually, I can back up a little more. I have this friend in Orlando, Joe Hall, um, who worked for Rumbum Racing with Joe Vardy and Matt Plum. Um, and their program was done at the end of that year with Rumbum. Um, and Joe and Joe, <laughs> uh, as it may be, wanted me to come and drive a Cayman GT4 with Matt Plum. And at the same time... At, at Rumbum. At so, Rumbum. So Rumbum, the, the, just to, I guess, explain a little bit, the, the program, their program for the past five-ish years was coming to an end. They wanted to try and keep it going. And, and so being kind of locally based and you knowing Joe, they, they came to you and said, hey, do you want to be involved yeah. in this program to run a Cayman? Yes, a Cayman GT4 with Matt Plum. Yeah. And at the same time, 
I had my engineer, Ray Lee, with Compass, was also talking to Matt Plum about coming and driving with me in a McLaren for Compass. So I think I think the universe had it pretty well dead set that I was going to drive with Matt Plum. Who's um, um, if if you're not familiar with Matt Plum, you should Google him. He's he's a pretty fast driver and he's won a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. This year we're going to make him the most winningest driver in in the Continental Tire Sports Car Challenge history. Sorry, Billy, uh, <laughs> you're tied right now. I like it. Nice. Um, and he's been probably one of the most uh, instrumental guys in developing me on and off the track because he's he's got pretty good wisdom for just about everything he's been in just about every situation he's been doing it for the better part of 20 plus years um he had one of the best guys ever coaching him coming up nick longy who's even imparted some of his wisdom onto me so i've i've been in a you've got some good people around you helping i've been very lucky to have really 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 good people around me and that's and i don't think i could have done it without that I don't think I could do any of that. And all this time, I mean, I'm, I'm still, I'm, I've totally forgotten about the video stuff. I mean, the first time I put a camera in a race car again was three yeah. weeks ago at Coda for the Sprint X race. And I didn't put it in the car for me. I put it in the car for Ray. Right. I needed to show Ray video. That's how, how much I just dumped that. And it was a hundred percent. It was focus on the driving, focus on the, on the off track, the data side. And that's all it was. It was data, watch, watch races watch other races, watch all the IMSA races. I've watched, I have watched so many IMSA races. My brain could explode within races. I've watched Blanc Pond GT races from the last five years. I've watched Australian GT races. I've watched British GT races. I've watched BTCC races absorbing. And actually Aaron, Aaron Nash, who I'm really good friends with now makes fun of me because even to the point where I'll watch my own race broadcasts over and over again. And he's like, you're watching yourself. You like, were there like, for it. Like yeah. he's like, but he's saying it in like a misogynistic way. Like, like you're watching yourself. Think, you're watching that. I don't think that, that word that means it's totally you. wrong. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're watching it in a, a self-centered way. Like you're, you enjoy watching yourself and you, you don't think he. So, so, he why, so why, are, why are you watching your own races? What do you, what do you get from it? I'm curious. I'm studying myself. I'm looking for a mistake I made. I'm looking for what I did correctly. So and I, you can I'm, I'm going to throw something out there. If you put a camera in the car, you could do the same thing. Could <laughs> you just have this like but mental block on putting cameras in the car now, don't you? I do because I don't want to deal with it on the race weekend. <clears throat> it's it's a a distraction on the race weekend. When you take away the distractions on the race weekend, you can perform better in the race car. Okay, I'm not going to argue with that. Um, it's it's not something I want to deal with on the race weekend. Fair enough. I mean, I had it in. I had like this weekend at Long Beach. I've never been to the track before. I put a camera in. And granted, I've only watched my fast lap because that's all that mattered. I've been fastest. Um, and that's actually thank you to another guy who's helped me out a lot in the past two years, which is or three years now, Jeff Siegel, with his simulator in Miami. Yeah, um, GPX and, Lab, absolutely. Yeah, and, An incredible resource for, for people who are serious about uh, about developing their racecraft. And not only that, but he's just, in, while I've been down there and other times, just imparted some wisdom about whatever we needed to happen. Um, so... It, I guess I don't know if I'm just good at talking to people and getting them to open up to me or what, but I've, well, I've so, had a collection. So, yeah, of- so the, the lesson is, you know, surround yourself with, with smart, successful, you know, good, good people who've kind of done what you're looking to do. If you surround your, if you surround yourself with people who have done it, it makes it easier to do it. Yeah. I, I would not disagree with that. Um, so you're talking to Joe Hall and Joe Vardy and Matt Plum's name comes up <coughs> twice and, so and Matt, 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 Matt managed Bum Bum 
And Matt finally, like, once this, we kind of had this, like, confusing moment of, like, what's going on here? And Matt told him, like, no, this, that, that's not happening. The Rumbum thing's shutting down. We're done. Joe uh, Vardy went and picked up the, uh, the TGM program from there um, and continued his program that way. Uh, Joe Hall actually now works with us. He's here this weekend uh, with Matt Plum and I, um, as well as he runs his own shop in Orlando now. Uh, so I think it's worked out well for everyone gotcha. on those ends. Uh, so, so this is now this is the start of your involvement with McLaren, which kind of brings yes. us full circle here. Which so is, we were we were a customer team. Compass bought the cars uh, from McLaren GT. Uh, this is now when we're starting that. Um, at the same time, also an opportunity came up with me with Audi with Audi Sport to run the new TCR car, the RS3 LMS in World Challenge again. Right. Um, which I won that championship with four race wins, eight poles, and a lot of fastest laps. Um, right and and, and all and, all the while they were continuously the series was slowing me down the whole time I had up to 500 pounds of ballast in the car yeah um, and that, that was a bit of a transition it was the first year that TCR cars ran here in the US so they were you know Pirelli World Challenge was trying to balance the TCR platform against some other cars that make the lap time um, in a much different way than a TCR car does. And so, uh, and, and that whole season was needless to say, there were some, some events where you felt like that, that balancing act, um, was atro- not, not like so balanced, egregiously mismanaged. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was a, a real, a, every weekend was a big learning lesson in how to control myself on that because all I wanted to do is go up and scream in their faces. And sometimes I did, and I didn't get anything from it. So I've had, I had to learn how, so still how learning, I can, yeah. I can still learning even now, um, how to deal with the, the politics side of the, the things the you can control and the things you can't control. And yeah. and yeah. And the politics being one of those things that maybe you can influence things, but you can't always control things. Yes. Um, that and, was, and that was your for your first pro championship, right? Yep. Won the championship in the, the year. That's my first championship of any kind pro championship, whatever. Yeah. So it was very competitive. Yeah. Uh, I was the only RS3 that was running up front at that time. So I was continuously being slowed down to the pace of the BMWs. Um, and I, I kind of, I managed it pretty well where I didn't really show what I needed to until they put more weight on it. And then I went the same speed and they went, Oh, well, obviously he was holding back. So they put more on it. And then I went the same speed again and they went, Oh, well, he's obviously holding back. So they put more on it. Well, um, I mean, that, that's, that's part of the game. That's part exactly. of politics. That's part of how you manage, you know, your, your, your championship and you, you look at things long term. Um, and you know, if you've got a good team and, and a good car underneath you, um, that's, that's the way to win championships. Yeah. So, okay. So, you know, you've won a championship in an Audi, but now you're also involved, uh, with, with McLaren and starting to kind of get kind of pretty deep in with them. You've, you've touched on this program with, with Multimatic, where you were involved with a really high-level program there that you learned a lot from. I mean, now now at this point, you're you're young. You've driven in Europe for a season. You've driven a lot of different types of cars in the U.S. Endurance racing, sprint racing. Um, you know, you've driven for a couple different teams. I'm still driving Spec Miata at this point. Still as well. driving Spec Miata. Yeah, I, I, because you know, that, again, we can talk about that. I mean, that's a whole other um, episode. We can talk about that for an hour or two. You know, about the the level of talent and car prep and, and quality teams at the spec Miata level. I mean, there are guys there who, you know, are, are top, top level drivers and, you know, either don't have the means or don't have the desire to race at a higher level. Yeah. Um, and, and so I think that's, it's awesome that, that you still drive there and, and I do a lot of coaching there and, and I still love driving there when I get the opportunity opportunity to, because the cars, number one, they're so fun to drive 
And number two, it's, there's, it's just so damn competitive. There's, I don't think, you know, other than maybe some top pro level series, there's nothing more competitive than, than spec Miata in the U S. Um, but, but my point is so now you've got all this, this seat time, you've maximized seat time. You've said, look, we are going to invest everything we've got, you know, for this time period into trying to make this work for me in this you know few years that I've got to, to learn how to do this and to kind of surround myself in the right, the right teams, the right places. And you do only have that few years because if you, if that period takes too long, you get labeled a gentleman driver for sure. Yeah. Potentially. Or, or you miss out on opportunities or, you know, you don't have the right people around you kind of pointing you in the right directions. Yeah, for, for sure. So, so, you know, maximizing at, um, your opportunities and your experience at, you know, at a young age, you know, now that you've, you've figured out or, or you figured out at a, at a young age, at, at an early point in your career that, Hey, this is something I want to do. And so the one thing that I think you realized early on that it, whether it was on purpose or not, that getting as much experience as quickly as possible, being in the car as much as possible was the only way to get good. I drove everything I could get my hands on. Yeah. If I could drive it, I drove it. Yeah. Didn't. And, 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 the, and that's, I think that to your credit, that has gotten you to where you are now, a which lot is of people think you should specialize in one thing and just drive that and be really good at it. But, uh, that's not, that's totally wrong. That's I'll tell you, like, that's a, the, the number one way to fail in racing is to only drive one thing and By only if you're holding yourself, holding yeah. yourself into something like, Oh, I'm, I'm a touring car driver. Oh, I'm a, I'm a, I race, uh, I race spec. Yeah, that's what I'm really good at. I mean, that's, or I race. I, right. I'm a GT4 driver. Right. I'm not a GT4 driver. I'm a race car driver. Race car I can, driver, yeah. I can yeah. get in a GT3 car, I can go fast. I can get a prototype and go fast. I can get in a spec Miata, I can go fast. doesn't matter what it is. You give me 20 laps in the car, I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to be on the pace. Yeah. I mean, it, it, might, it might take me a day to get that last half a second in a brand new car, which is pretty much everyone's going to take that, that last little bit to understand how that car actually works at the limit. But the, the, the physics are the same pretty much. And if you understand because you have the experience, sure. It's, it's, I mean, it's even now, like when we, in the continental tire series, uh, it used to be like when I was in the Mustang, it was my first time in that kind of car at every single track. So whereas Pierre had driven GS cars for years, um, he knew kind of where they break kind of, and, and even now you realize that pretty much all cars kind of break in the same spot because they're carrying more speed, but they have more grip. So they all kind of break in the same range for all the same kind of corners to, to the most part. Yeah. To, to a certain degree. Yeah. To, yeah. I mean, it's the same area. It's not yeah. like one car is breaking 500 meters earlier than the other one. Yeah. Um, well, a trans M car, like a TA one car and a formula Ford are oh, a little course. different, but yeah. But, yeah it, but like, I, like get, a, I get what you're saying. Like a GT four and a GT three car break very similar. It's just that the GT three car is coming in with 12 miles an hour more speed and only slowing down to 10 miles an hour less. Um, yep. Exactly. But because I've driven those cars, I know that. And when I get in the car, I go, I know where I can brake for this track and I'm on the pace. Yeah. And that's only because I have that wealth of knowledge that I've collected yeah, you've built in your a book short up. amount of yeah. time. Um, Absolutely. So, okay. So again, I, I want to bring back it back to, McLaren. to, I want to bring it back to McLaren, you know, to, to finish up here to talk about that because that's, I mean, in my mind, it, it, I'm, I'm really proud of you. I'm, I think it's a really incredible thing, 
uh, incredible opportunity in front of you. Obviously, you know, you still have to continue to perform and you know, develop, but you know, being named a McLaren factory driver, it's, it's a huge thing. And so I, I want to circle back to that. You know, you're, you've, you've been involved with compass racing, you know, driving the McLaren GT4 car. Talk about the, the process of, you know, driving the GT4 car for a, a customer racing team with the mindset of, you know, I'm being, I'm a career driver with the, the goal of being a factory driver. At what point did it, did that door of being a, a factory driver start to open for you and talk about the process of, of going, okay, here's the opportunity. Here's what we need to do. You know, what, what, what was it like? What did you do? How did you, how did you get there? Break it down. You know, I actually almost shot myself in the foot to start off with McLaren um, we were at Daytona for the first race and Matt goes out to start the race and the car just literally dies on the apron out of turn six, um, electrical gremlin or something. And this was, and I'm walking around the pits. I'm, we've been having electrical issues all week. We thought we sorted it out. All the McLaren's are having electrical issues, um, with the ECU and going on the banking and all sorts of different stuff. And it turns out at the same time, this, this new, this guy at McLaren automotive had just hired as their, uh, head of motorsports, Dan Walmsley. Walks into our pit. I have no idea who he is. I have McLaren no, Automotive again. Just do, not McLaren do, GT. McLaren Automotive. Right. The, so the the McLaren the, the McLaren that everybody thinks of. Yes. Right. The McLaren that everybody thinks of the car company. Yeah. Um. This guy walks in, kind of introduces himself. I, I'm. This is like, as you're melting I am, down. I'm red mist melting down at the moment. Like, oh my gosh, our season's done already. It's the first race, and we're going to be last. Um. I made some snarky remark of, God, we just got to make this car work. Um, he's like, oh, I'm sorry, yada, yada, yada. Um, and afterwards, someone told me that was, and I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> that wasn't, that wasn't did, great. Did you really say we've got to make this car work? Or did you say something more, it was, more snarky than that? I think it was, we got to make this fucking car work. <laughs> it was, it was, it was that. Or it actually might have even been, you need to make this fucking car work. Yeah, it was, that, it, was, it, was that, it was, it was, that's a little, car yeah. needs to work. Yeah. <laughs> um, your heart was in the right place, but your mouth wasn't. It, I, that's a pretty common theme. <laughs> um, <laughs> So that goes on. We go to Sebring. Uh, we call, I actually, Sebring, I missed all of practice. and quali- This is last year. This is last year. Yeah. I missed all of practice uh, the whole week because I was doing development work on the TCR car uh, for World Challenge. I showed up for qualifying. And again, this goes back to the experience of just knowing what a car can do. I put the car P2, um, like two tenths behind P1, uh, and a good bit ahead of everyone else with no practice time. Uh, next race at Goda, I put the car on the pole by a good bit. One lap in qualifying, put it on the pole, parked it, and was done. Uh, on the pole, we won that race commandingly. Uh, so, um, okay. So now, now people are starting to maybe yeah. take notice. So then uh, we went again to Watkins Glen, and I put the car on the pole again. Uh, we should have won that race, but a little mistake at the end of the race cost us. We finished third. Um, then I had actually a trip to uh, MTC to McLaren Technology Center. With Carl and my Jill and my, uh, my Jill, <laughs> Carl Thompson, Jill Beck, and my father. Um, we went there. So, we, so th- this is McLaren Technology Center in Woking. Woking. And it was this, this was a trip that you, you got invited. This the team got trip. invited. How did, a, how did you end up there? This was a trip. Uh, we uh, collectively, Carl, Jill, and myself were invited over uh, through the Race Day Foundation because Jill Beck is actually good friends with Mike Fluitt, uh, the president of McLaren Automotive. 
Um, so we were invited over for a tour and we actually had dinner or dinner. We had lunch. Uh, we had a tour of uh, McLaren Technology Center. We had a, McClure, a tour of MPC McLaren Production Center where they build the streetcars. We got a tour of what was then McLaren GT's uh, production facility and shop, um, as well as a tour of MSO, McLaren Special Operations. Uh, so we got the whole conglomerate of what's going on. And we had lunch with Dan Walmsley, Dan Walmsley who I promptly apologized to. <laughs> this is, I was like, this is I, the guy in pit lane at Daytona who yes. you said, this is the guy you need to lane. make this. I was like, you need to make this car work. car work. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so this is the, you're now seeing him again I, four months later. This is, the, but this is like, this the, is like the next time you saw him. Yeah. Right? This is the yeah. next time I saw him. I, I, I literally, I walked <laughs> into, I shook his hand and I was like, I, I think I said, I apologize for the, uh, the stressful situation under which we met the first time, <laughs> um, which he laughed. Uh, thankfully, so we had a, a very nice long lunch, uh, which we had talked about multiple things, their driver development programs they were doing, what the future was, uh, lots of different things. And uh, then we, we left. We had a nice nice day there, um, went back. Uh, we raced at Mosport, didn't have a great race there. Went through some other races, went and put the car on the pole again. Ended up with two more poles throughout the year. So I had the most poles on the year. Um, we didn't win another race, unfortunately, due to some mechanical issues uh, and some just some bad luck in general. Um, just like uh, like randomly, like a failed sensor. Like you can't do anything about that. Sure, uh, stuff happens. But um, so, so now, so you've made it through the 2017 so I, season. So I've made it through the 2017 season. We're getting to the end of the year, and uh, we're kind of seeing how things are sussing out with the situation with McLaren GT and McLaren Automotive and how that's going. And uh, McLaren GT actually invited me to a test at uh, Paul Ricard. It was a Pirelli tire test in the GT3 car. I did some work on the GT4 car there as well. They had their GT4 development driver. From so, so still at this point now, are you are you now thinking the door to the door? I know the door is open. You know the door is open. I know so, I know the door is open due to some communication with McLaren, um, with Carl and myself. Uh, at great. this point, pretty much. Carl's acting as my manager, basically, with with. So he's doing some lobbying for you, saying, yeah. "Look, we're you know, we believe in this kid. We're running your cars. Yeah, you know, we're you know, saying the right things to the right people. Exactly. Okay. Um, and that's something Carl's extremely good at. Sure. Uh, um, and, and, so, and so so they they now invite you. McLaren, McLaren GT. McLaren GT being. So McLaren GT slash CRS, which CRS is this GT. separate entity. We should actually just call it CRS GT to make it simple here. CRS GT, right. So but so at that at this point, end of twenty seventeen, they're still the ones building and selling the uh the I GT think, cars for McLaren? I don't know the exact date when automotive took over the production of the but for, all, for, for for all, all inten- intents and purposes. So, that, so McLaren so now right now it's both of them working together on it. So it's an incredibly complicated situation. Right. Um, but so, so they, but, but for all intents and purposes at the time, they're the ones, you know, who have built and are supporting you know, with parts and what, and, and people, uh, the compass McLaren GS program. Yes. And so these are the people who you are, you guys are connected with who then after this season is over, you get an invite to come do some development work in Europe. Uh, just purely to test the GT3 car. Just to test. Well, but to test it for what purpose? Just, uh, to, just they, to give so you an opportunity to drive it as like a, an attaboy for getting, I'm not sure having a, a good season I'm not sure or an attaboy. Cause I did do, I did give some feedback on tires cause they were testing 2018 tires. 
Um, okay. I didn't do the bulk of that. Like I think they, they had say 10 sets of sticker tires. I got one. Yeah. Um, I was there with uh, comb Lodgar, uh, who was their fact. One of their factory drivers. If we want to get fancy with our driver rankings, he's a platinum driver, um, air quotes around the platinum and the driver ranking. Cause yeah. that matters that much. Um, he's very, very fast. Uh, I did, I drove the GT three car for maybe a total of, uh, two hours. And at the end of the two hours, when I did my stick, they gave me like progressively better and better tires. So I got to turn the traction, play with the traction control, play with the ABS, do all this stuff that you don't usually get to play with in a race car. Um, as well as just experience the increase of grip and the, how you can push the car as you get better and better grip. And by the end of it, I think I was like, uh, six cents off of combs lap on sticker tires with uh, a compromised setup with less camber in the car. And, uh, I was quicker through the low speed stuff. I was just kind of scared of being the kid who spun the car in the high speed corners. Um, didn't want to push it too hard. Um, excuses are excuses though. But at the end of the day, being six tenths off of the factory guy, right. And getting is, invited to come and, do this, but yeah. this is, this is, and, like, and I, and it was, and it was really good. I didn't have a single issue all day. You didn't tell anybody worked, they had to make this fucking car work. No, um, I worked well with the engineer. I think the engineers really liked me, uh, that were there. Um, it was a really good test. Um, but, but and, it's, but you know, at the end of the day, you go over there realizing, Hey, this is a new opportunity in a new car to new track. So you, you talked earlier about, you know, drawing on your experience at like a place like Sebring, for example, and knowing, you know, having driven a lot of different cars at this track, knowing that you could show up without a lot of practice, hop in and put it on the front row of a GS race, which is like, that's, that's a big, that's an impressive feat, but didn't have that going to Paul Ricard now, but right. So, so now you're invited over for this test. You don't want to be the the guy that spins the, the car. This is your probably one of a few times you've ever driven. Maybe your first time you've driven a GT three car. I had like done a, I had, I had driven a, a GTD R eight when it was the non GT three version with no ABS, no traction control. Sure. So, so no this aero. is effectively your first time in a proper, you this know, full GT three spec car. car. Okay. So, so to go over there and be within a half second of, of, you know, or six tenths of the, the, the full time like, okay. factory, you know, quote unquote platinum. I walked away from that guy. test extremely confident feeling pretty good about doing. yourself. Yeah. Um, but, that so we go along a little while later uh get the did, did you uh, so i guess let me ask you this then about that did you go into that feeling like that was just a, a driver shootout or no, something? not a driver shootout but did, how did i guess how did you mentally go into that were you thinking this is a a, a job interview or did you go over thinking you know ah, no pressure this is just i'm just getting some seat time to that, it was it was no pressure i'm just getting some seat time i didn't think it was a job interview and, and, I mean, in, I thought, and, and in reality was it just that or, or was it more of a hey we're evaluating this this guy and i think if the situation with mclaren g or crs gt and mclaren automotive were different it could have been a mindset interview. might have been different no no, no. It, it could have been a job interview per se with mclaren sure. gt but so so then it, they it really they it were really in, was just you getting some seat time yeah they weren't to in learn the, that. they're not in the position to be hiring factory guys right now they're downsizing thoroughly like they uh, they they let uh, Alvaro Parent go uh, or I don't know how that ended but he's no longer associated with McLaren GT right I think uh, um so 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 what happens next so it's like a couple weeks after that it was the beginning of December I actually get a call from Carl. Uh, which went on for about an hour in which I was told I was going to be offered a factory drive from McLaren. So you got to be like shitting yourself at this point, right? I, I mean, pissed it, my pants thoroughly. Yeah. And this is, 
so he, he calls you saying, you know, he, he I guess I'm confused. How does that, how does that work? Because he, he, you know, he calls called, your team owner and, and your he called me acting saying, manager. I, he, how does I, that work? He calls me going, I just got off the phone earlier today with Dan Walmsley. Uh, they're going to offer you one of four factory seats. It's going to be you, uh, Rob Bell, Ben Barnico. And at that point, I don't know if they didn't know if Joe Osborne was going to be, or if Carl just didn't remember Joe's name because he'd never heard him before. Um, actually, I really, Joe's hilarious. Joe's awesome. Um, he's a really funny guy. Uh, and also very fast, um, as is Ben and as is Rob, obviously. Then uh, that was, and he was like, tell him you want to do this? I was like, you should have already told him I wanted to do this. Um, so that went along in my communication with uh, McLaren Automotive, started shortly after with uh, deal sheets and going back negotiating terms and whatnot. Um, which took some time. And then uh, I did my first test with automotive in the GT3 car in Spain. Uh, yeah, Spain um, at the end of January, beginning of, it was beginning of February this year. So this is your first time working directly with automotive. automotive. Is is this test still kind of a job interview or do you do you have it in the back at this point? And was, this is kind of a... It was, an, it was done deal. I was done. Okay. I was, I was told go there and don't screw up. Went to a, a no-name track I've never been to, Monte Blanco in Spain, which is a private track. There's no no way you can run this on a simulator. You can't do anything. There's almost no there's – there's, it's a testing track. There's a million different configurations. And, again, uh, I did um, – we had an engineer who I had worked with before, Javi, uh, who was an ex-customer uh, support engineer for McLaren GT um, there. And, again, I was, like, again, with – very limited laps compared to everyone else, maybe two runs on tires. So totaling 12 laps or so, uh, within six tenths or seven tenths of what Ben and Joe were doing. That test went really well. Did some testing in the GT four car as well. Uh, and then, so now I'm doing the development work with Joe on the GT four car while we go on. So I went to the British GT test day that they had in at Donington park. Again, another brand new track. Uh, we ran, the car with 40 extra kilograms of weight in it. And I was four tenths slower than the, than the other factory car was there. So if you want to go, I was right on the pace. Um, first time at the track. And that was really cool because it was raining in the morning. It was cold. I got a wet session. I got a damp drying session and I got a completely dry session. So at Donington park now, not only do I have an All idea, that track knowledge, track, yeah. I got the track knowledge from dry to wet. And I was out there with GT3 cars, so I got to see where the GT3 cars are breaking in places. So I'm pretty confident I can go in any car there and be on the pace. And again, it's all, I mean, that was circumstantial, and I got really lucky there. Got sure. really, really lucky there. So, but it's about collecting that knowledge. Absolutely. That someone my age doesn't have. I mean, like Ben Barnicote is two months younger than me, and he's probably got the same wealth of knowledge because he's driven a lot of stuff. Now, his background was former the cars. But he's sure. driven a ton of Formula cars. Um, so, so with you know, kind of McLaren being in a bit of a transition, there's a, a new car coming. There's not a lot of the 650 GT3s being run worldwide at the moment. Um, you know, well, why is that actually? Is it, um, is it just because it's it's you know, the the perception again that that I have haven't driven the car. Um, the, the perception that I had about that specific GT3 car was that it was not gentleman friendly. You and have that, to drive the shit out of it. That was a, well, and that it was a kind of a knife edge car in terms of the setup, the it's, setup that needed to be on it for it yeah. to be quick was uh, like 
just you've got knife a, edge. You've got I mean, a real it's knife edge. You, you have, have to have you have to really be right on the edge serious the car control the whole time to make that thing go quickly. Yeah. And and so you know GT three being and you've got to be willing to toss it in there too. Yeah. Like, so 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 is that is that accurate? Is that is that pretty, kind of one of I, the reasons that that's not such I'd, a popular car? Is because I'd say it that's so accurate, difficult. And I'd say that maybe. Uh, I mean, I don't want to throw CRS under the bus, but maybe the customer support wasn't the greatest. I think they were still learning about that. Um, sure. So, so with that, that especially it, especially with the early years, like uh, with with the MP four twelve C, I think they chased away some customers because of the lack of customer support. Copy. Um, but so, again, so I, I can't. I can't really talk. Right. That's just me at sixty thousand feet, kind of looking at it. I hear. You. But my question is then: so then being in a transition, bit of a transition period right now with the the new car coming. You're you're now named as as a you know McLaren factory driver, employed by automotive, by the McLaren. Correct. Yes. Okay. You just you're making a face there. I wasn't sure. Um, so, so you're McLaren automotive empl- employed factory driver. So what are your you know, responsibilities. What was your job this year? Other than obviously you know, you're racing the GT four car here in the U S and in multiple series. You know, so that that's obviously a really positive thing. The, the car is competitive. You're on pole for long beach this weekend. That that's good stuff. But you know, what, what else are you doing in, uh, as a factory driver for them? I mean, is there development work going on? I mean, are you going to be traveling back and forth to Europe? What, yeah. what, what else is going on that we don't, so, that we don't know about? My job primarily for this year consists of GT4 development. Um, when we start working on the GT3 car, I'll inc- that'll include GT3 development as well. All four. So I don't know how much work uh, Ben and uh, Rob are doing on the GT4 car. I think mostly Joe and I are doing the GT4 car work because we're probably the two most experienced guys in the world with the car um, at this point. Uh, or very close to the two most experienced guys in the car with, in the world with the car. Uh, so I'm doing that. I'm also working on the pure McLaren events as an instructor, uh, instructor slash brand ambassador. Um, and if you're not familiar with pure McLaren events, it's like Ferrari challenge, but for McLaren owners. Um, and it's cool because it's not just Ferrari challenge, like where the racing it's track days as well. So you bring your McLaren, you can track your McLaren. You can, if you own a McLaren, you can have McLaren bringing you a car. McLaren will bring you a GT four car. They, they offer a race licensing uh, program where you can learn to race and get a race license. And there's going to be a McLaren. There's going to be a one make race series one coming GT four series that they're starting in Europe and they're going to move it to America as well as they populate the world with these little things. Cause actually, they're selling really, really well. The GT4 cars are, and then obviously, I, I actually have the busiest race schedule right now out of everyone, um, out gotcha. of the four drivers because everyone else is just doing. And so, uh, I, actually, just I a know. quick, quick point of clarification because we we just talked about how the GT3 car was kind of gentleman unfriendly. Just talk for two seconds about the GT4 car. The GT4 is car incredibly gentleman friendly, and that's because GT4 allows stability control, um, allows stability control, and the McLaren stability control is one of the most amazing things in the world I've ever experienced. Cause I've seen guys who will sail it into a corner 10 miles an hour too fast, have a huge moment sliding the car, entering the corner. And you just kind of hear this groan from the ABS pump as it pulls you back straight. And then they go back <laughs> to power and drive out of the corner. Like nothing happened. It's, um, it's really impressive and it's, it's like magic. Um, and then you couple that with, it's got the best ABS, I've ever driven, um, uh, not on a GT3 car. The GT3 ABS is really good, 
but that's also there's a lot more arrow and grip there. Sure. Uh, and really good traction control. You, um, you can't beat it. Uh, so, awesome. and I mean, we've had a hundred. And so is that, is that helping you on the streets of Long Beach this weekend? Uh, do you feel like that's where the, the car is really strong is on the brakes and on, I think the car is very strong on the brakes and at the end of the straightaway, um, around here with the turbocharger, we're a little, the gearing's not perfect, um, for it. So we're kind of out of the boost in a couple places and it takes a little bit to get going down the straightaway. But, uh, you can't really do anything about that except maximize what you're good at, which is for us, the second two thirds of the straightaway and entering the corner through to the apex. I think we're, even though we've had so much weight stacked on us and they've, uh, increased our ride height by 20 millimeters, which is a, <laughs> a yardstick in race car terms, uh, car is still very good at the apex of the corner. And that's the carbon fiber chassis, good shocks, uh, good suspension geometry, just good engineering from the streetcar point. So the McLarens, it's going to be good tomorrow. You're on pole. What, what What's going to happen tomorrow? When I do a, a follow-up uh, to the end of this podcast to explain what happened tomorrow, what's uh, what's the prediction? I'm going to get the jump at the start, and then I'm going to make the car really wide, and Spencer and Harry are going to battle it out, and I'm just going to be wide in front of them. And we're going to have nice yellows, so we're not going to destroy our tires, and we're going to have a good race. Copy that. I'm All not right. going to call results. Other than I will say that since there's only three cars in the pro class here, uh, if I make 50% of the race distance, I'm guaranteed a podium. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. All right. Well, Paul, thanks for sitting down and chatting. Um, it's really cool to see what you've done over the past couple of years. It's really awesome to see Thank that you. you're, you've got this huge opportunity in front of you. Um, you know, it, it's, it's really just the first step. I think for you in this bigger, broader career you've got going for yourself as a, as a factory driver. And, um, I'm excited. And I think a lot of other people are, are going to be excited and interested to, to follow you and, and see where you go from here. Um, but for now, good luck tomorrow on the streets of long beach and, uh, get some sleep. I'm excited as well. Thank you. <laughs>